we will be in Acts chapter 10. Um, so in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to, regularly to God. For one, one afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared, stopped, stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and de devout soldiers, soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat of the roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was laying down by his four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, and kill them, and eat them. No, Lord. Peter declared, I have eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you are looking for. Why have you come? They were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man. Well respected by all the Jews, a holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Now we're going to skip down to verse 33. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message of the Lord has given you. You may be seated. Thank you, Jaylee, so much. Uh, if you can tell by today's scripture reading, um, I'm like smoking the bandit. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So we're going to jump right into it. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm the associate pastor here at Hope City Church, uh, along with the amazing uh, pastors on our team. And it's my honor and privilege to be a part of what God's doing here at Hope City Church. And, and, and before we get started, I, I just want to take just a, a moment and I want us to pause. I want us to, to, to recognize and honor God's presence with us here this morning. Because we're not just here for another church service. And we're not just here to be seen by, by friends and family. We are here to, to have an encounter with God. 
I, I just want to pray the words of Jeremiah 17:7 uh, over us. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made their Lord their hope and confidence. Amen. And so for the past two weeks, we've taken a break from our wildfire series, and Pastor Jason uh, shared some amazing information uh, about the future of the church, how God has allowed us to dream and to plan for the future and to be a part of what he's doing here through through open hands and, and our and not just our building campaign, because we are going to invest in the building, but that we are also going to invest in South Louisville. And we are going to invest in families, that we're going to invest in the future so that, that people can live better lives, they can lead better families, and we can be a part of a, a better city. And so I'm just so grateful that we got to hear from our pastor. But today we're picking back up in the book of Acts, our, our series on that called Wildfires, Wildfires. And these are stories of the very, very first Christians. And the reason that we're listening to these stories is because, they're, honestly, they're really remarkable. They're really remarkable. These, these lives that affected and changed the world so much that we still feel the impact today over 2,000 years later. And the reason that we're calling it wildfire is because that's how the message spread. It went from a couple to a few more, to a city, to a town, to a region, to nations, and then to the whole world. And we see this great impact these people had throughout the book of Acts. And so today, if you're a Christian, I think there are two questions that we could ask ourselves about the people that are recorded in Acts, and that is, what do they have that we don't have, and what do they do that we need to do? And so before we go any further, I just want to look at a couple things that Pastor has covered, is that the, the book of Acts is a historical record that was written down by Luke, and he wrote it to a man named Theopolis for the purpose of Theopolis coming to faith. He knew and believed that if he heard the stories of Jesus, he would put his faith in him. The Holy Spirit came on the followers of Jesus the day of Pentecost. Ordinary people become different when they have been with Jesus. We see people that had a passion for prayer throughout the early church. And today we are going to continue to see people that were passionate about prayer. And the last thing that we heard before we took a break is that we saw Paul's conversion. Paul's conversion from Saul to Paul. And guess what? Today, we are going to continue to see conversions. God used Ananias to help Paul to do a complete turnaround, a 360, a total transformation. What happened to Paul will happen to Cornelius. Peter, he will be converted as well to a new revelation of what God is doing. And so today, we are going to see conversions. It is people going from unbelief to belief. Unbelief to belief. This is what was happening. The Holy Spirit was coming to people so that people could come to know God. At this time, the church was not growing through marriages. I married a, a pastor's kid. Not always following Jesus, but man, it cemented it in when I married into a pastor's family. It's not like it didn't happen like my family. We are raising kids to follow Jesus. This is not how the church was growing at this time. It was not through strategies and emails and, and church strategies or growth plans. No, this is not how the church was, was growing at this time. It wasn't because kings and nations were imposing Christianity on other people. No, people were not becoming Christians out of moral obligation or the need for a better life. 
No, people were jailed and even killed to become followers of Jesus. At this time, people literally were dying to become Christians. Christianity at the time was a faith that was persecuted by the ruling class, the Roman governments. To be a Christian, it meant that you had to meet in secret. You were the minority. You were an underground movement. You were countercultural. You were the part of the least of these, the poor, the widow, the sick, and the needy. At this time, Christianity was not a faith of nations. No, not at this time. So how did the church grow like wildfire? How did it continue to grow? How did it spread throughout the whole world? I said it, and I'll say it again because I want you to believe this, is the church was growing like wildfire through conversions, non-believers becoming believers. We can look at a couple of stories that we skipped over through the book of Acts. There's so many, and if we look at a couple of stories, you can see where non-believers were becoming believers. We look at the Ethiopian treasurer and Philip. Ethiopian treasurer is traveling on a road. He's got important meetings to go to, and he picks up the book of Isaiah, and he's reading it, and the Holy Spirit prompts Philip to go over and stick his head in this man's carriage and say, hey, do you know what you're reading? And he says, how can I know unless someone explains it to me? And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Ethiopian treasurer, this eunuch, this very important man says, hey, stop the carriage. I'm ready to get baptized. Right then, the Holy Spirit was coming to people so that people could come to know God. We look at Peter earlier in this same book when he went and he, he uh, healed uh, Aeneas, this, this, this paralytic bedridden person of eight years. He said, get up, Jesus Christ heals you. He went to Dorcas, and he, and he told her, they, they said, she's asleep, and she was dead. What can we do? And he went to her and said, Jesus Christ heals you. Just get up. And what happened when Dorcas was raised from the dead? What happened when the Ethiopian uh, eunuch was baptized? Did, did people go to Bible studies? Did people start acting more moral? Did people start having theological debates? No. The Bible says that the town of Lydia and Sharon, they, they turned to the Lord. Whole cities turned and believed to Jesus. Whole cities, people's towns, this word turned, they, they converted. Christianity, see, it's not a set of practices. Christianity is not a, a, a way that you simply adopt to have a better life. Rather, Christianity is this life-changing, life-impacting, life-converting power. My question for you today and people in the room today, and maybe people that are hearing this later on the podcast, is have you met God? Have you experienced the power of God? Have you been converted? Matthew 18, 3 says this, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sin and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom. This word, you turn from, is the same word that means to be converted. Jesus is, is talking about how when the Holy Spirit, it gets a hold of you and it turns you and makes you totally different once you give over control. Your life changes into a whole new direction. This, this is a perfect image of what it means to become a Christian. On one hand, your life, and this is my experience, my life has radically changed from the inside out. Radically changed from the inside out. 
But on the other hand, why is there always got to be two hands? But on the other hand, you're not so much replaced, but the way you think should be refaced. Your focus should change. Your goals should change. Your outlook on life should change. I've got a new me on the inside, but I still got a whole lot of old me on the outside. My good friend, a.k.a. my therapist, (laughs) tells me this all the time. Yes, Joe, you are full of the Holy Spirit, but you can also be a jerk. (laughs) What a dichotomy we live in. We're saved and still defiled. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not have to be perfect. But when you turn, when you have this turnaround moment, this, this conversion moment, everything you do now is based on a whole new basis. Everything you do is done for a different motivation, a different goal. Your whole entire life should be changed. And that change is that now you are focused on the kingdom of God. Your whole life is focused to love and to honor God. The other day, Karen and I, we were driving home and we were listening to this podcast and Bianca Oltoff, she came on and she said, hey, when I met Jesus, I did a 380. God turned me all the way around and then just a little bit more. (laughs) I love that. I love that. If, If you're taking notes, good luck. I'm not that guy. But if you're taking notes and you wanted a big idea, this would be my big idea for you is, is when the Holy Spirit comes, he changes everything. Amen. When the Holy Spirit comes, he, he changes, he changes everything. And so for the time that we have left, I just want to examine, I want to examine Cornelius, I want to examine Peter, and then I want to examine together what their life looked like when they finally met the repercussions it has for us today. So let's, let's look at, at Cornelius. Cornelius, a devout, God-fearing man. And so was everyone else in his household. Man, I want to be like Cornelius. We pray that over our kids during baby dedication, that they would grow up in the ways of God. Cornelius is raising his whole household to know God. He was generous. He gave to the poor. He prayed regularly. And even though that, that, that Cornelius was this officer in this Italian army, He was also a Gentile, so he was separated from the Jewish faith. We know that Cornelius was not one that that worshipped Roman gods or pagan gods because he was a capital G-fearing God. And it said that he was well-respected by the Jews. So we can look at Cornelius as like a prototype. I want to be like Cornelius. He's following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is someone I I want to emulate. So he's a religious man. But also, he's a religious man that can't be fully connected to the community because he's a Gentile. So one afternoon, we see him. An angel appears to him on a rooftop. And and when he's on the rooftop praying, the angel comes to him and says, We have received your gifts, your offerings. And God is very pleased. Again, I want to be like Cornelius. How impressive That God would say, you're doing a great job, Joe. Kim, you're doing a great job. The things that you've been working on, we see it and thank you for what you're doing. I want to be like Cornelius. But it also says that Cornelius stared at the angel in terror. Yikes. So what does Cornelius' reaction have to say about the angel? He, he was devout. He was God-fearing. He prayed. He did all the religious things. But when God showed up, 
He was terrified. Now, if this angel showed up like the half-naked babies in diapers with wings that was on my mom's wallpaper in the 90s, I'd be scared too. But that's not how it said. It said he was a figure of gold. So what was it that was, that was scaring Cornelius? What was, what was super frightening about Cornelius to this angel? I believe it's because the, the angel asked Cornelius to do something that he wasn't ready to do. He said, go find Simon Peter. What about you? Is it the fear of the unknown? Is, is, is the angel of the Lord spoken to you and said, hey, I want you to go seek out more information? What if I do that, God? What are you going to tell me? Why, why can't you just tell me right now, why do I have to go do another step? Why can't I just stay right here where I'm comfortable? Why do you have to ask me to do something else? Maybe you feel like it's losing control. God, I give you offerings. God, I pray. God, I do good works. I don't think I can do anything else you're going to ask me. There's a question in the room for everybody today. Is this, is that when was the last time God asked you to do something that terrified you? When was the last time that, that God asked you to do something and it, it terrified you? See, Cornelius is in his prayer time. Has he become too comfortable with God? Maybe we all are like Cornelius in this way. God, you've met my expectations. And now you get to live in this little box right here called faith. God, why are you asking me to do that? It's so scary. God, don't stretch me right now. God, don't ask me right now. God, I can't. I need to play it safe. God, I can't take another step of faith. So what if the next time God asked you to do something and it terrified you, you decide to say, okay? That's what Cornelius did. He said, okay. What if instead you, you get prompted by the Holy Spirit and instead of di dismissing it as coincidence, you went over and you talked to that person? Or what if the next time you're at that red light and you think, ah, they're just going to waste it, you do give that money? What if the next time the Holy Spirit's prompted you and you're like, I don't know, but you just... Go ahead and do it. Those are comfort level zones. Cornelius was terrified, frightened. The angel of the Lord asked the devout man to take the next step of faith by taking the next step of faith. God was calling Cornelius to the next thing by taking a fearful yet faith-filled step. It's not fake it till you make it. It's do it while you're scared. It's do it while you're terrified. It's do it while you're nervous. It's do it while you're unsured. It's do it while, God, I'm out here praying, but yet you showed up and asked me to do something that I don't want to do, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And I love Cornelius' response to all of this terrifying information. What does he do? Acts 10, 7, 8. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called the two household servants, a devout soldier, and one of his personal attendants, and told them what had happened and sent them off to Jaffa. He called his prayer partners and his reinforcements. Hey, God, I'm scared. Well, guess what? I'm taking a step and I'm bringing people with me. I love that. Karen, God told me something I, I got to tell you. Aaron, that sounds real scary, but I'm with you. Jessica, I don't know, but here we go. 
Like, I, I love that this was a faithful man of Cornelius, that we could, we could live with him and see what he was doing. When God asks you to do something terrifying, you need to roll with people that are unsure but are faith-filled. That's what Jesus did. He had a tight three that rolled with 12 that turned this whole thing ablaze. And Jesus did that, knowing the whole plan would lead to his death, but you were worth it. Terrifying. Peter. Let's look at Peter. I'm way behind, but look at Peter. I'm behind, but God's moving, because you know what it says in the, in, the, in the book? It says, on the next day. This is the book of Acts, y'all. Peter, Cornelius heard from the angel, and the very next day, Peter hears from the angel. I love this part of our faith that God was moving and moving and moving. And we find Peter, the same place we found Cornelius, praying on the rooftop, sort of. What time was Peter praying? Noon, not three. Peter's a Jew. He knows the prescribed times. And what he do? Hey, God, I love you, but I'm going to come a little early. I got plans I haven't even ate lunch yet, but I'm going to go ahead and get my prayers out of the way, and it's going to be okay. And he gets distracted. Now he smells Sister Mary's goat stew coming up, and he's supposed to be deep in prayer and adoration to God, and he's like, and what happens? He falls into a food coma. He ain't even ate yet, and he's in this trance, and the Spirit of God comes on him and gives him a menu, uh, animals, reptiles, all of these things that he's not allowed to eat because he's a Jew. Wow. Not about you, but I can sound like Peter. Peter walked with Jesus, was called out from being a fisherman. He walked with Jesus for a long time and he got complacent. I've been following Jesus for almost 19 years. And I'm like Peter. I can get complacent. God, I know you're holy, but I got a schedule to keep. God, I know, I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but I'll get to it in a little bit. Or God, I know you called me to this, but I'm going I'm to do it my way, but hopefully it gets to what you really want me to do or do it your way. He forgets that God is holy, that God is the king of kings, creator of all things. And so he, he, gets, he gets distracted. But not only does he get distracted, what happens with Peter when he sees this list of unclean things that his, that his traditions say. He claps back at God. I ain't going to do that. I'm not going to eat these things. I can't do what you're asking me to do, God. You give me this list. Don't you know who I am? I'm, I, I'm Peter. I, I follow the rules. You've set up my, my religion. This is what I'm going to do. Man. He was so perplexed. He was so confused why God was asking him to do something next that he went back at God and told him what he wasn't going to do. He put his foot in the ground. This is the same Peter that heard Jesus call him from a fisherman. The same Jesus that uh, went to the Garden of Gethsemane. The same Peter that, that tried to walk on water. The same Peter that was forgiven for betrayal over a campfire. And yet, he's talking back to God. It really sounds like me. And maybe it, it sounds like you too. 
God, I, I know you've called me to, to do this life different, but I just ain't ready. God, God, I know she's not the one, but I get lonely. God, God, I know you've asked me to start handling my money differently and honor you with my finances, but Christmas is coming. You know that. God, I know you told me to leave this job, but the money's too good. God, don't you understand? I'm trying to give my kids a life I've never had. There will be time for you when they're older. God is calling you and me and Peter to something new and different. Right there on that, right there on that rooftop. Right there, right before lunch. The Spirit of God is calling him. And maybe he's doing that to you right now. Maybe God has spoken to you over the last few weeks and you've been perplexed. Or you've been clapping back at God saying, I ain't ready, or I'm not going to do it. The next thing that God has for you, but you're just like, I can't. The next thing that God has for you is right outside your comfort level. Our comfort level cannot control our obedience level. We need to know that. The next thing that has God has for you is right outside your comfort level. It's right outside your traditions. It's right outside what you're used to. See, I, I think of Peter as one of my kids. Y'all gonna have to go with me on this one. This is a stretch. But Peter reminds me of my kids. When we were, when we were raising the kids and we were trying to get them to eat new things, their first answer was, I ain't doing it. I ain't trying it. There ain't no way. I sound just like Peter. God ain't doing it. It's too new. I ain't doing it. I sound just like Peter. But if we, if we think about what God is asking him to do, this vision and scroll, it was a list of food. And his response was telling him, I ain't doing it. When I was sitting here thinking about that, I was like, man, Peter sounds like my kids. And how do we, how do we get them to try it? How do we get them to try something new? And then it dawned on me. They're going to put it on a screen. It was called Yo Gabba Gabba. Have you ever seen Yo Gabba Gabba? <laughs> if you did, you need to make sure you take some Advil and some Tylenol because your joints are hurting because your kids are old. <laughs> there was this show called Yo Gabba Gabba, and there was this amazing song about trying new food. And it went like this. I sing in the choir, not with a microphone, just the Lord loves my voice. It goes like this. It says, I know it's new, and you've never tasted it. You'll just have to trust in me. You'll give it a try. Yeah. Try it. You'll like it. <laughs> try it. You'll like it. Yo, Gabba Gabba about to preach. I'm telling you, you don't understand right now. Is what do you have to do when God's calling you to do something you don't want to do because it's new, it's different, it's, it, it, you don't, it, I'm putting my foot down, God, I'm, I'm throwing a fit. You'll just have to trust in me. You'll give it a try. You know what they say at the end? Wow. <laughs> I like it. Is that the Holy Spirit or what? Wow. God, I never knew it could be this good. God, I never knew on the other side of what I didn't want to do could be. Wow. Wow. Peter, the Spirit of God, is talking to you. He's calling you. He, he, he's calling and drawing you. 
And all you have to do is trust in me. All you have to do is give it a try. Okay, God, I'm not perplexed, but I'm scared. Broccoli's scary. (laughs) When you try something new, you have to what? Fail. Look foolish. Be bad at it. Make mistakes. It might not work out the way I thought it was going to work out. But you know what? With the Holy Spirit's help, we can embrace all the uncertainty and take a step. So here we are. We have Cornelius, this devout man who loves God, his family loves God, and an angel visited him, but he just needed a little more information. And we have Peter, this follower of Jesus, had seen, even done his own miracles in Jesus' name, arguing with God about not wanting to take the next step. So what's next? This is where the story gets really good. They meet. We have been waiting for four days. Four days in this story, we've been waiting for what the Spirit of God had told Peter to tell Cornelius that we get to hear that changes everything. We've been waiting four days. In, in Acts 10, it says, We are all here waiting before God to hear the message that the Lord has given to you. Man. The news that Peter was about to share with him was some really good news. It was really good news for every single one of us in the room, unless you're a Jewish person. But other than that, everyone in this room... And this is what makes Christianity the most accessible, the most inclusive, the most, the most the, the, I don't even know how to describe it, the, this religion that is for absolutely everyone. In Acts 10, 34 through 36, it says this, And then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those that fear him and do what is right. This message the good news for the people of Israel. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter shares the good news, this good news of Jesus that all humanity can be saved and made right with God through Jesus. You see that that grocery list of unclean things that represented all the nations. God showed Peter that these animals represented the nations that now had accessibility to God through Jesus Christ. So much so that God rebuked him and said, don't you call, don't you call unclean what I've called clean. Let that sit. Don't, don't you call unclean what I've called clean. I don't know who in the room today here that may feel like there's some shame and guilt or you feel unworthy or you feel unclean. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. And at this moment, a second Pentecost happens. Acts 10, 44 through through 48. It's amazing. You should go read it. But there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
everyone is listening and everyone is amazed how both Jews and Gentiles, how they can receive the good news, this message of the Holy Spirit, so much so that they begin uh, speaking in tongues and they begin praising God. And you can get excited as a Pentecostal to hear, oh, there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and there's evidence of gifts and this is, this is amazing. But I look at it, and I believe that, but I look at that as when we hear that there are these other tongues poured out and there are these, these, these uh, gifts given, is it so people could be included. My brother that I was not allowed to talk to anymore. Now God has made a way. I better learn how to talk to him. My sister over here that came from a different culture that doesn't look like me, but now the Holy Spirit gives me words to go speak to them. Why? Because God has said that all are clean. All have an opportunity to be with God. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was for everyone. And this powerful moment led to the opportunity for more conversions and allowed the, allowed the church to spread more like wildfire. Peter shared, Peter shared with Cornelius the good news, that God has no favorites, and that through Jesus Christ we can all have peace with God. The Holy Spirit was coming to people so that people would come to know God. Um, Eddie and the rest of the team, you guys can make your way up. I just want to, to paint one more picture in just a few moments that we have left. And without the Holy Spirit, Peter and Cornelius' story was incomplete. Cornelius needed more information. Peter needed to take another step. But it was incomplete. Something was missing. And the other day I was thinking about this and I was like, and I want y'all to go with me here and, and, and do this with me, but why don't you think about something right now that you're missing? Just put it in your mind. Like, is your grandma? Is it that car you shouldn't have sold when you had your second kid and you wish you had it back? Um, was it an expectation of a career that you didn't have met? Something that you're missing. And here's the thing that's very interesting about when you're missing something. Is that the longing and the desire for that thing you're missing is evidence and proof that it existed. You'll never long or desire something that never happened or, or wasn't possible. I lose my keys all the time. All the time. They go missing. I didn't lose them, they go missing. And you know what I had to do? I don't have my keys on me or my wallet, but what I had to do is I, uh, for my marriage and my mental health, uh, for Father's Day, my wife bought me a four-pack of Apple AirTags. <laughs> Praise Jesus. One's on my dog, one's on my keys, one's on my backpack, and one's on my wallet. And I placed this air tag on these things because I wanted to know where they were. Because see, they went missing. They're lost. If you're in the room today, and maybe you're like Cornelius, you pray, you follow the rules, you give, you're moral, but yet this Christian life 
something's missing. Maybe you're like Peter today and you follow Jesus, but you've been arguing with him because you haven't taken the next step. There's something missing. Or maybe, and I would say if you're in the room today and I'm going to describe you, that you would be the most blessed person in this room, and that's because you're really far from God. You don't know it, you don't recognize it, you, you, don't, you don't feel it, you don't see it, but yet there, you just feel it. There's something missing. But how can you be missing something if you never had it or you never knew about it? Well, what that something is, that's your, that's your soul. And see, God, he put it in there before you knew And you're not missing. He's looking for you. I, I think about when I'm in my house with my phone and I'm, I'm hitting the little button and it, it's like 15 feet away. Dee, 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 dee. 12 feet away. Dee, 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 dee. Six foot away. Dee, 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 dee. And then it goes blank because it's downstairs in the laundry. And I have to take another step and turn around. I was so close I thought I had it. And then I, I, I get there and I'm like, yes, I've found it. That's your soul longing for God. You didn't put it in you. God has been calling you this whole time because he's missing you. He wants you to come home. He wants you to be called clean. You think about the prodigal son and he's ready to throw a party and embrace his arms around you and love you right where you are. That is what this next step looks like. How are people converted? They go from unbelief to belief. It's not they figured it all out. They started doing the things. They acted right. They went, I don't believe. I believe. And then the repercussions, let them be what they are. Got to have your way. We're going to take communion here in a moment. And I love the fact that Jesus knew us so well. That he left us something rooted in reality. Now Jesus is very real. He really lived. He really died. He really rose. And he really will come back. But he also left us something very tangible. And that is the communion table. This very real act that we get to come to each week and remember that we're found. Remember that we're not lost. Remember that we're not broken. Remember that we're not unclean, that we can come to his table and receive what he freely gave for us. And so if you're a Christian today, come to the table. Be reminded. Be reminded that you have been found. Be reminded that the next step obedience will lead to a moment of wow. And if you're, not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe that this is the next step that you could take, and that is to commit your life to him. And here in a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads, and we're going we're gonna to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus.